Morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, throughout the month of February, we spend basically the entire month as a church talking about where we are, uh, that our church is growing exponentially fast to the point where we know that we are going to run out of room here sometime in the next six to 18 months or so if we don't do anything about it. And so we are attempting to build, to add on 24,000 square feet uh, to this building to make room for all the people that want to come and hear about Jesus and grow in their faith. So this expansion, uh, we said, is going to cost us $8.75 million. And so we set out as a church to raise $4 million in pledges uh, over the next three years. And we know that, and we said that if we're going to break ground sooner rather than later, then we would actually have to raise over $4 million. And so I just want you to know that that goal of $4 million was a massive goal uh, for our church, uh, not only in amount, but per person is the biggest stretch goal that we've ever attempted uh, for God as a church in our history. And so that's why we prayed, that's why we came together, that's why we fasted as a church, because we just knew we would need the Lord to move. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you uh, where we are at. Uh, Our pledge number is 5,155,947, so. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Come on. (laughs) Okay, so here's the deal. Because we are not only over $4 million, but over $5 million, we are going to break ground at the end of May. So, all right. Pretty crazy. Let me tell you how this happened. Uh, It happened because God moved. Uh, And it also happened, I I think this is important for you to understand just numerically. The main reason that this happened, it's not because someone gave a $2 million gift or anything like that. It happened because our participation rate was astronomically high. Uh, If you were here on Commitment Sunday and you saw the people stand up, you could just see that uh, with your own eyes. But let me even give you some uh, data on this. We had, this is unbelievable to me. We had 470 different families pledge. I didn't even know we had 470 families. Church, that is basically like everyone. That's, that's, that is why we're sitting here. And I just want to say, that's our history. That's how we got here. Uh, and, I, and now it's our present. And we just, we just want to pray that it continues to be our future, that God is moving so mightily through this church, in part because we believe so deeply that we all pick up an oar. And then we do this together. And I just think God is going to bless that. And so let me just say three really practical things about this uh, before we jump into our message for this morning. Uh, number one, if you saw this number and your first thought was, oh, we're over. Uh, I just want to remind you, we're not really over. Uh, $4 million was our floor uh, to get this going. The building still cost $8.75 million. And so even with $5.1 million, we're still going to take on as a church $3.6 million more of debt. But the fact that we're at 5.1 and not a 4.0 allows us to take less debt, right? And it allows us to start faster. So speaking of that, number two, what will happen then practically when we break ground at the end of May? So when the contractors come in here, the first part of the project is to do the existing building, the interior of what we have. And so they're not going to knock down those walls behind you in the worship center and kind of tear this apart. They're going to be widening the hallways of the existing kids' room. So they're going to be in here working like crazy. And what that means is that we won't be able to meet in this building for at least three months. 
starting at the end of May. Uh, We are committed as a church to continue to worship together, to meet together as a body of Christ in person. And so this summer, uh, we are gonna go home uh, to North Point Elementary School uh, where this all started. Uh, and some of you have not seen that, you'll get to see that. We, now, we are too big to fit in our little gym at this point, and so we are gonna do a fun outdoor service this summer uh, out on the field at North Point Elementary, but we're actually gonna do our kids' ministry inside the building. Uh, they have incredible, awesome kids' pods and spaces. Uh, if you haven't seen it, they're great spaces for kids. So we're gonna do kids in the building, and then we're gonna do really cool outdoor services uh, for the summer, and then we will be back in here uh, in the fall as they continue to work on parts outside of the existing building. Okay, finally, uh, number three, the practical thing I wanted to tell you, as far as the bank is concerned, the more money that we have in hand before we break ground, uh, the better. Now, for 85 to 90% of you, this probably doesn't apply. Uh, you've kind of marked down that you're gonna give uh, monthly over the next three years, and that is A-okay, uh, no worries. But let me just speak really quickly to maybe 10 or 15% of you that marked that you're gonna give uh, annually or maybe just all at once at one time. If you're giving annually and you do have the ability, maybe you don't and that's totally fine, but if you do have the ability to give your first annual donation in the next month or two, that really helps. If you are giving your pledge just all at once and you have the ability to give it now, that really helps as well. <laughs> However you give, we are so uh, thankful. This is, uh, this, I didn't predict this high in my mind. <laughs> just so you know, <laughs> I was off by about, a million dollars. So the Lord has just, uh, just moved so tremendously and we're just so, so grateful for all of you and just for, for what God has done through all of us together. So let's just clap and praise him again. So. Okay, uh, let's jump into our Bible teaching for this morning. So everybody grab a Bible, whether you brought your own or you're using the ones uh, under the chairs, we'd love for you to open up the Word of God. Uh, We are in Matthew chapter 13 as a church. Uh, We're in a teaching series called Parables of Eternity, uh, where we are teaching through Matthew chapter 13, and most of uh, the chapter is uh, parables, uh, and specifically parables that kind of get us focused on a long-term thinking. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that word, a parable, a parable is just simply a story or an illustration that has a main point. or or a main principle with it. And typically, when Jesus shares a parable, he doesn't actually explain what the parable means. Now, the first week, we actually jumped over this passage where Jesus explains why he doesn't explain what a parable means. So I wanna go back to that. So let's, let's start at verse 10 of chapter 13. So if you look at that small number 10, we will start there. It's kind of a curious passage. It says, the disciples came to him, Jesus, and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? That was a good question. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Okay, now, this is sort of different, right? And maybe at first, uh, Jesus' answer seems a bit confusing to you, 
But what Jesus is doing by telling parables is he is putting the responsibility on the listener. So for those who are seeking to find the truth, they will find it, but for those who don't really want the truth, they're not gonna see it. Uh, you can think of it this way. Any of you have uh, kids where you tell them to do something and they don't do it? Oh, just me and the person in the back? Thank you, well, <laughs> commiserate together afterwards, that's great. I mean, like, you ever, you ever just say to your kids, like, hey, I need you to uh, go clean your room. Hey, you, go clear off the driveway or put your dishes away, and you say it three times and nothing happens? And so you go right up to them, especially if, if you have, like, little ones, and he'll say, I told you to go get ready for pet. And what do they say? So many times they look back at you and they say, I didn't hear you. <laughs> Whenever my kids say that, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> how, how is... How's it pop? Okay, what's, what's happening there? It's not that their ears didn't audibly hear the words you were speaking. It's that they decided in their minds, maybe even at a subconscious level, that they just didn't want to hear the words you were speaking. And my friends, that is exactly what Jesus is saying when he says, though hearing, they do not hear. Because they don't want to hear. And so with the parables in this chapter or elsewhere in the Bible, if a person doesn't truly want to in their heart understand them, then they won't. But if you want to and you desire to, then you will. That's how parables work. Okay, so let's take a look at two more parables today. This will be fun. So we're going to jump down to verse 31 now. Okay, it says, He, Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Okay, so in this case, Jesus is telling two parables about the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a phrase that's actually used interchangeably with the phrase the kingdom of God. And these are Jesus' phrases for what life should be like when people let God rule in their hearts and in their lives. And Jesus is teaching specifically in these two parables about the spread of the kingdom of God. So I want to show you three things that we can learn today about the spread of God's kingdom. Here's the very first one. Number one, kingdom change starts internally not externally. So the kingdom of God, if you study this in the Bible, you study this in history, it spreads when hearts are changed first internally. So let's, let's look at the yeast. It's like if you're making bread. Anyone ever made, made bread from scratch? Look at that. I gotta tell you, at 8 a.m. it was like everybody. Those people are hardcore. Uh, <laughs> that just blew me away. Okay. I've never made bread, but I studied it uh, this week. So if you're making bread, you start out, you know like the little packet of yeast you can get, right? At, I'm sure they have it all. The Aldi is everything. That's what we say in my family. So if you if you make your bread, you start with this little packet of yeast, right? And the yeast has billions of living yeast cells in it that have to be activated if they're going to actually get to work and spread and make the bread rise. And to be activated, the yeast cells have to interact with water, 
and sugar and starches. And what happens is the little yeast cells, they go like Pac-Man, they start eating the sugar, right? And they start eating the starches, and essentially they kind of burp up carbon dioxide, which is gas, right? And that's what actually makes the bread rise. But notice for all that to happen, for the yeast to get worked all through the dough, as Jesus says, the yeast first has to be activated. And so if God is gonna use you to spread his kingdom, you need to start praying. Some of you pr- need to pray this this week. You need to pray, God, activate me. Activate me. Make me a renovator for your kingdom. God, use me in my family. God, would you use me to spread your kingdom at work? Activate me. And see, the kingdom of God spreads when it first starts inside of us. And one of the things I think this parable teaches us, really both of these, is that when you start that process, do not get frustrated if you don't see changes overnight. It's kind of like yeast in the bread dough. You can't literally see what the yeast is doing inside the dough on this microscopic level, but what, you, what can you see? You can see the effects of it. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like yeast being activated and then working. And so if you are coming to God Friends, you're coming to God every day and you're saying, God, move in my life, activate me. God, I, I, wanna, I wanna be used by you, I wanna serve you. If you're doing that, trust that he's working. And like we sing here all the time, even when I don't see it, you're working. He's working. And eventually one of the ways that you will see it is when you see the kingdom of God start moving through you and actually influencing and spreading and affecting other people. And notice the mustard seed is actually, that parable is actually saying a similar thing. When a mustard seed starts growing, do you see the beginning of it? Can you see it? No, you don't see it, right? It's underground. But just because you don't see it at first doesn't mean that it's not growing. In fact, it's doing some of its most important work. It's laying the roots. And these descriptions here of the kingdom of God, that they start in Eternal, that you can't see it at first, they really matter. If we're gonna understand how the kingdom of God operates. And they really matter actually because most people in Jesus' day, they believe that the kingdom of God worked the opposite way. And I actually think many Christians today, actually more than when I started in ministry even 20 years ago, I think struggle with this. They don't understand this. So Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. And I think many people in his day expected him to finish with, the kingdom of heaven is like, a good ruler on the throne. See, because contextually, his Jewish listeners, they were oppressed. They were oppressed by the Roman Empire, and more than anything, what their hearts wanted from the kingdom was an earthly kingdom that was gonna bring down these other rulers. They wanted Jesus to grab a sword more than anything. But instead of saying, my kingdom is gonna come and change the world with power and the sword and authority, Jesus shockingly says, Friends, we're going to get out and we are going to change the world with some yeast and a mustard seed. Why? Why does he do this? Why is he using these interesting parables? We have to understand this. It's because power, listen carefully to me, power from the outside in really never changes anyone. But change from the inside out, 
that then spreads to another person who's truly changed from the inside out. And then, then that spreads to another person that's truly changed from the inside out. That sort of mustard seed-like, yeast-like change of Jesus, you have to know will bring more change than war or power or the right ruler ever could. That's how the kingdom of God spreads. Okay, that was number one. Let's look at number two. Number two is this. We learn that big things come from small beginnings. So think about the influence of Christianity around the globe, right? It's actually pretty amazing if you think about it from its humble beginnings. Uh, This is why Jesus uses the example of a mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed was the smallest seed at the time that any farmer, any gardener could use, but it actually could grow to eight or 10 feet tall. That's pretty amazing. In fact, I brought a picture. Here's what a mustard seed in the ancient Near East looked like. So it is tiny, right? So small that in the hand of the gardener, the gardener could have felt like, well, what is this going to do? It's just a tiny seed. But the gardener plants the seed in the ground because they know that even big things have small beginnings. And the gardener knows they're not putting a marble in the ground. They're putting something that has life-giving power. And friends, I think it is so important that you don't miss that aspect from God's word today. I actually think that one of the main reasons that we are so afraid, so nervous to talk to other people about God is that we forget biblically that the power is in the seed, not us. It's not your job to make the seed grow. You don't have to say it just right. You don't have to have perfect timing. You don't have to know the answer to every question. God makes the seed grow. In fact, one of my all-time favorite parables comes from Mark chapter four. And interestingly enough, this parable is right before the parable of the mustard seed in the gospel of Mark. Let me just read it to you. I'll put it on the screen. He, Jesus, also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. The, the, the farmer is sleeping and the seed is still growing, right? Though he does not know how, all by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. That gives me a ton of peace as a follower of Jesus. That it's not my job. It is not your job to make the kingdom grow in another person. Only God can bring the dead to life. Your only job is to plant seeds. And then God does the hard part. So what if we believe that? What if we biblically believed what Jesus is teaching in these parables, that it's God that grows the seed? How would that change how you live? I mean, what if you truly biblically believed that big things have small beginnings, mustard seed beginnings? Would you plant more mustard seeds? Right, maybe this week you just On your phone, you get out and you you post on social media, something you post all the time. But this week, you just, you drop a mustard seed. You just post about what God's been doing in your life. How could God use that? You don't know. Maybe you just, and you text a friend a Bible verse of encouragement. Uh, Maybe you have a coworker who's been having a really hard time, and let's say they have a really hard day this week at work, and you go up to them and you say, hey, would it just be all right if I prayed for you? Who knows what that could do? Big things come from small beginnings. Mustard seed beginnings. We have got to believe again in the power of the mustard seed. 
And remember, even if you do something, let's say you, you post something this week or you pray for a friend and let's say nothing happens. Do not walk away from that this week and be like, oh, this is, I shouldn't have listened to Pastor David on Sunday. <laughs> Mustard seeds do not grow at warp speed. Okay, that, that's the teaching. You don't put a seed in the ground and see it explode out of the ground, right? It doesn't work like that. How do seeds work? You plant, it gets in the soil, it gets in the soil of a person's heart, and it just starts working and doing its thing. But it starts small. That actually is a huge theme of the Gospels. Jesus, often when he's teaching about the kingdom of God, he's talking about the exponential power of small things. So in the Bible, you read about the one cold cup of water. Uh, Next week, I'm going to teach about the one priceless pearl. There's the two copper coins, right? You have the the couple of fish, the two fish and the five loaves, right, that that feed the multitudes. There's the 12 young disciples that change the world. Well, what is that? What is the theme? It's that Jesus wants us to start small and trust that he can do the work. And I think that's why we have all these really fascinating sort of humble parables about yeast and mustard seeds. Why? In part because you can't get prideful about planting seeds, right? You can't go, Y'all see how I planted that seed back there? I mean, my, my place, some of you want to take a photo of this, my placement was, you just can't, it's planting a seed, right? That's not the miraculous part. The miraculous part is that God makes it grow. But if it's gonna grow, we've gotta plant, right? And that's the third learning, I think, from these parables. Number three, kingdom change doesn't come if you never plant. And so God wants to use you, not just the person sitting next to you. God wants to use you to influence the people you work with, your neighbors, your family, bring them into his kingdom. But he's not going to use you if you never plant any seeds, if you never take any risk. And so I think the question, because you're asking this when you read the Bible, you're saying, you're always asking, who is God and what does this mean for me? And you're asking, what does this mean for me? I think the question from these parables is, where do you need to plant a mustard seed this week? And that doesn't mean that you need to stand up at your office and address your 10 coworkers and say, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, I'm gonna preach to you now. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't, some of you maybe, I don't know, maybe, right? But for most of us, our step is gonna be simple. Like, who do you need to invite to church next week? Say, hey, we're teaching this, we're doing this cool series on parables, I want you to come and learn with me. For some of you, it, who can you pray out loud for this week? Uh, who can you share with about what God's doing in your life? And I would even ask you, is there a person that God is putting on your mind right now? And if so, do you trust God? Do you trust in the power of the mustard seed? I think for some of you in this room, uh, your mustard seed might even be sharing more about God with your own kids. What if you made this the week that you start the habit of praying together at meals? What if you make this the week that you start the habit of reading a children's Bible uh, to your kids every night before bed? By the way, if you don't know where to start, uh, on our, uh, if you go to our website, on our kids page, there's a link for uh, resources for kids. And we've got a whole page dedicated to just kids' Bibles that you can buy. It's, it's separated by age and everything. It's awesome. Uh, what if you made this, I think this is good for little kids, even for teens, if you've got teens. What if you made this the week that you just started talking more casually with your kids about God, like on a car ride. 
Parents, this is so important. Your kids have to know that God and your faith is a normal part of your life and an important part of your life. If you do these things, what will happen is you will see the mustard seed not only start to grow in your life, but grow in your kid's life. And the goal is that then it starts to grow in their kid's life, in their kid's life, in their kid's life. The mustard seed is so powerful that it can grow an entirely changed family tree. So where do you need to start planting this week? And I think it's also important to ask, what if you're here, and some of you are, and you're just still a little bit on the fence about this whole Jesus thing? Maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church until this year. Maybe you're still just exploring who Jesus is. If that's you, I think the application point for you is this. I want you to begin to ponder how this little seed of Christian faith has turned into a massive tree. Uh, Last year I read uh, Frank Turek's excellent book uh, on apologetics called Stealing from God. And in the book he interprets this great uh, phrase saying from uh, James Allen Francis. And he writes this. He says, just think logically about the life of Jesus. Jesus was a man who was born in an obscure village to a peasant woman. And then he grows up in another obscure village where he works in a carpenter shop until he's 30. And then he spends just three years traveling around as a teacher. But Jesus never wrote a book, never held an office as a politician, never owned a home, never had a family, never went to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place that he was born, he never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. No credentials except himself. And when he was only 33, the public tide of opinion begins to turn against him. And his friends run away. One of them denies him. He's turned over to his enemies. He goes to this mockery of trial, of a trial where he's then crucified in between two thieves. Even when he's dead, he's taken down and he's laid in a borrowed grave. And yet, 20 centuries have come and gone, and today Jesus, whom the Bible said rose from the dead, is the central figure of the human race. And I just think I'm, I'm well within the mark of saying all the armies that ever marched, and all the navies that ever sailed, all the kings who ever reigned, All of those things put together have not affected humanity as powerfully as the person of Jesus. And so, if this mustard seed life of Jesus Christ is the life that changed the world more than any other person who ever lived, you owe it to yourself to investigate the life of Jesus Christ. Please, we would love for you, those Bibles that you're maybe holding that are under your chair, we we would actually love for you to take that with you today and begin to read it. Specifically, start reading in the book of Matthew. That's the book we're reading uh, today. Just start in chapter one. That is a book about the life and teachings of Jesus because it is intellectually unfair to say, I just don't believe Christianity is true and never have studied it. That's actually where most Americans lie. I say it's not true, but they've never actually read it. And so all I'm asking you to do is to just give it a fair chance. And I'd love to see many of you walking out of here today with a Bible. And if you're here, some of you are here too. 
and you've been coming for a month or two months, and you are just ready today. You came ready today to say, I just, I know it. I know Jesus died for me. I need to turn my life over to him today. I need today to be the day that I believe that he is my savior, that he died on the cross for my sins. I want to walk away from my old life, and I want Jesus to be my leader. If you need to make that commitment today, at any time during this last song, what I want you to do is get up and walk to those back doors. I'm just going to stand back there by that door, and I'll have a follow-up team member on the other side. At any time of the last song, you just get up, walk to the door, and we will help you begin to follow Jesus, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much. Now, we thank you for what you did uh, with the $5 million, God. That is uh, unreal. And Lord, we just thank you uh, for these teachings. We pray that we get, you give us faith to believe in the power of the seed and not so much in ourselves, but to believe in your kingdom and how it spreads. And we just thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.